Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We have a wonderful quote, iconic quote from Irma Bombeck, who was with us way too short a time, 1927 to 1996, an American humorist whose newspaper column described suburban home life from the mid-1960s until the late 1990s when she left us. She published just 15 books. Most of them made the bestseller list. And her columns were read twice a week by 30 million listeners, 30 million readers, and heard probably on a lot of radio shows as well. Here's the quote. Listen up. I think you will all identify with it. Here's what Irma Bombeck said. The odds of going to the store for a loaf of bread and coming out with only a loaf of bread are three billion to one. And we're talking about grocery shopping. That's right. Happens to me all the time. I go in with, well, I just need milk and come out with a hundred dollars and twelve bags of groceries later. Well, today maybe not twelve. So what are we talking about today? In the battle for the future food chopper, no grocery area is more important or relevant, and relevant is a key word today, than fresh foods. Why? Well, let's look at what's on the shelves. Anybody can sell a box of Cheerios or a box of Cheetos, but what makes or breaks a good meal? It's the produce, it's the meat, it's the seafood, it's the deli and the bakeries. That's where it's at. Yes, I ended a sentence with a preposition. Sorry about that. So who can deliver what we call center of the plate dinner for people shopping in the store, which I still love to do, or digital customers who order online, maybe get it shipped to the house or just go pick it up at the pickup window? Traditional grocers say that they, and only they, have the expertise and the experience to get it done is that true? We're going to find out. I have two very interesting speakers today joining me again. We have Rick Stein, the VP of Fresh Foods at FMI, and we have Randy Evans, Senior Principal Industry Advisor, IVE, for SAP America's Food and Drug Retail Vertical. Happy to have them back. And they were on the air with me on uh, part one of this topic, which is getting fresh, the last battleground for grocery back in December of 2018. So welcome back, Rick and Randy. Let's start off the formal part of the show with the quotes that our guests have sent. First up, Rick Stein from FMI sent me a quote from comedian Jerry Seinfeld. I don't need to introduce Jerry Seinfeld. Here's the quote. Sometimes the road less traveled is less traveled for a reason. Rick Stein, how have you been? I've been doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for joining me. I love this topic because I love fresh food, and that's the first place I go when I hit the grocery store. So tell me about how you picked the Jerry Seinfeld quote, please. Well, you know, the big phenomenon amongst consumers has been the fact over the last five, six, seven years as they're starting to navigate the perimeter of the store, as you mentioned in your opening. You know, they're mm-hmm. shopping the produce departments, seafood departments, meat departments, bakery departments. And so the road that's less traveled is probably that center of the store that has all those consumer packaging items with all the ingredients and, and things of that nature. And there's a reason it's being less traveled, and that is uh, consumers see the perimeter as a healthy option. And, and being able to eat uh, foods that are fresh is, is better for them. So that's why I picked the quote. 
I love that. And there is a design, isn't there, Rick? Honestly, there are designers who decide the layout of the store. And I know when mm-hmm. I was in New York very often, and not so much here, I'm in Durham, North Carolina now for the past year and a half, I noticed that you'd walk into a store, and of course, we know this from Ikea, you smell something wonderful. You smell the the, the buns. Uh, you smell coffee in many stores. You're near the aisle where coffee is, you can grind it in a self-service machine. Is that still happening in grocery stores? Stores where a lot of people are doing this pickup at the at the special aisle outside or ordering online and having it delivered. Is it still important when you go in the store that you smell or see something fresh right away, Rick? Absolutely. We always say that if you're ordering product online, you can't smell it. And so well, one of the benefits of a brick-and-mortar store is the ability to, to inundate consumers with that sense of smell. And that's why you'll see departments that have aromas usually towards the front of the store, whether it's the deli food service where you have hot foods, whether it's the floral department. Think of all the sensations you get yes. when you walk through a floral department. And, and, and that also includes the bakery when you can smell hot bread being uh, baked and things of that nature. So absolutely, it's, it's, not, it's not a coincidence where things are put out in a store. That design, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. It's, you know, which entrance is going to be the primary entrance and which department you're going to walk into is all part of that strategy. Well, thank you for that. And you just reminded me that in this gorgeous, I think I spoke about it in December on the air, gorgeous Harris Teeter is 1.2 miles from where I live. And when I moved to North Carolina, I thought, where am I going to go grocery shopping? Because when I was in Great Neck, Long Island, it was literally the next block from my co-op building was an associated food store. Not really a pretty store, but everything I needed was there. So I didn't have to drive. Got here and they were just building this gorgeous Harris Teeter. Rick, the first thing I see when I walk in the door, just ahead and to my left, is this humongous fruit and vegetable department. Humongous. But if I turn to the right about six feet, I'm in the floral department. And Rick, I always wanted to have fresh flowers in my home every week. And I have to tell you, Harris Teeter features what they call this uh, budget bundle. I get lilies Two stems that end up producing between, let's say, six and 12 blooms for $4. I buy them every single week. I get the ones that haven't opened up a lot so that they will last longer. Sometimes they go for two weeks, actually. I don't need to refresh them. And I head for the floral department the first. Are you surprised by that, Rick? Oh, matter of fact, we used to think, you know, I was in retail for over 40 years, and we always said that the floral department set the tone. So you walk into a store now, and you know it's Easter. You, you know, if, if you walk through the floral department, you're, you know it's Easter. And, and how about Valentine's Day? Nothing sets the tone for Valentine's Day. Right. Or how about Thanksgiving arrangements, you know? Yes. When you walk into a store, it puts you in the mood to buy more food. So we always thought the floral department was a great department to put right near the entrance of a store. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And on the thing, on the method of, on the mention of, we talked about smelling the coffee. I have to mention everybody that Jerry Seinfeld, who is still very alive and well born in 54, uh, is the creator and host of a web series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. So we can't smell the coffee, but we can enjoy them having their coffee in the cars. (laughs) So thank you, Rick. I had to mention that. Rick Stein, we're very, very happy to have you back. Can't wait to get more expertise from you. But now it's time for me to turn my attention to 
your co-panelist, Randy Evans. And Randy has sent us a quote from Coach John Wooden, 1910 to 2010, American basketball player, head coach at the University of California, L.A., named the Wizard of Westwood. He won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years as the head coach of UCLA, recording a record seven championships in a row. So he's known as Coach John Wooden. Here's the quote. Things turn out the best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. I love the quote. Randy Evans, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Tell me about this quote. Loving it. Well, as you look at the, the, you know, the concept of fresh foods and how it's impacting, how it's, its prominence is elevating in the, in the grocery industry, it's, it's kind of a natural ascension as the, as the digital shopper, the, the advent of, of customers using um, technology to manage their, their, their dinner, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an inevitable happening, right? As the technologies increase, as the ability to do stuff digitally um, or on a device um, increases and the offerings increase, um, it's, it's just something that's happening. It's, it's going to happen. And I love the quote because it, it really kind of gets to, so let's, you know, let's look at this as an inevitability and let's, let's react to it. Um, and let's, let's make the most of the, of the way things are. It's, it's no longer debatable. It's, it's a part of the, the, the culture of food shopping today. So let's do the best we can to make what's a fact. It's coming. And let's, let's ensure that we're headed down the path of making, making it work. And I love the, the I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on Rick's quote too, yes. because that's the, that's the, the truth, right? The center store um, is becoming a, 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 a potential automated process, um, and the real battleground is going to be in that peripheral. And that peripheral, which is meat, produce, bakery, deli, seafood, is, is incredibly more important today than it ever has been. Absolutely. Randy, going back, and you mentioned piggybacking on what Rick and I were talking about, um, a question for you. Do you think that there's any major grocery chain or, let's say, midsize, more I mentioned associated on Long Island? They have a I, – I don't remember the um, – I think it was IGA, but I'm trying to remember what their company name was. Anyway, do you think it's anybody who doesn't get the importance of what we're talking about? Do you think that anybody doesn't get that you need to have something like flowers right up front or the smell of fresh ground coffee or the smell of the bakery in front instead of way in the back where somebody has to travel to get to it? Do you think anybody is not aware of this? In other words, is this breaking news what we're talking about, Randy? No, I think uh, conceptually... You know, every company understands the, the the power of the visualization and the sensories. You know, the, the smell, the touch. That's really the, the the at the cornerstone of I think the future of grocery is is the store's not going away. I mean, that 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 mm-hmm. is you know, there's lots of you hear a lot of media about you know, um, grocery retail is is headed out the door. The bricks and mortar is nope. dead. It's you know, nope. it's going to go all digital or home delivery. And, that's just not reality. There are a lot of customers. In fact, I'll say the majority of them that are that are not interested in this this antiseptic online experience. They're, they they don't have a problem ordering Cheerios online because their sensories 
aren't needed. It's really about mm-hmm. price and quantity. But they certainly want to come in and, and walk the produce aisle and, and touch the avocados or the melons, if you will, smell the flowers, <laughs> look at the meat, interact with a butcher. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a uh, human nature. And, and, I mean, Rick's describing the store, and I'm like, I'm getting hungry. That's the point. That's, That's the point. It's it's a sensory selling experience, and I think the companies that have recognized that it, that it's kind of an it's not an or an either or conversation. It's an and conversation. The digital shopper is here to stay. We have to be able to to meet them where they want to be met, whether that's online or in store or some other hybrid. You, 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 you've got to do it all. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be really good at bricks and mortar, and that's all I'm going to do. But then you can, can also say, I'm just going to abandon bricks and mortar and go online. But neither is the appropriate response. Thank you, Randy. Great insights. Randy, that's so interesting to me because I'm one of the people who loves the in-store experience. I see at Harris Teeter the cars pull up in this special pickup zone, and I see the store person come out with the shopping cart and load everything in the trunk of the car. And I say to myself, how busy could they be? Seriously, I love walking into that store. I love going to the, the fresh fish department. I have a deal with them. My salmon has to be not the skinny end. It has to be about three quarters of a pound, and I'm happy to have a little more. It has to be wrapped separately. They wrap it in brown paper so I can bring these packages of fresh salmon home, put them in the freezer, and have them ready to take out for one meal. That's the deal. Don't put it all in one. I know them. They know me. I love the experience. And this is the kind of store, Randy, where if you need something, you can go to anybody. They have so many people on on staff, anybody, and say, hey, where will I find the, the such and such? Anything from paper bags to shampoo. Yes, they have a whole, whole uh, personal accessories department. I even get hair rollers there. And that person, Randy, will stop what they're doing and say, I'll take you there. And bring me to that part. The store is massive. Bring me to that part of the store and help me find what I was looking for. Randy, how could people pass up that experience for such personal service in many of the bigger stores today? What do you think? Well, I can give you, uh, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, that personalized service is, is a great example of a company like Harris Teeter, which is the subsidiary of Kroger that gets mm-hmm. the customer service is way more important than, than just pure efficiencies and payroll. But, but I'll also contrast you with my daughter. My daughter is uh, 31 years old. She has four children. Um, mm-hmm. Two of them are little. Um, and she is a busy, busy, busy person. Yeah. And she, you know, I've talked to her about, you know, she, she uses home delivery. And I say, wow, you, you, you're missing the, you know, I'm a, yeah. I, I'm a little biased because I'm a grocery guy. Yeah. But, but, but you're missing that experience. And she says, I care, but not that much. <laughs> Having it show up on my doorstep is way, worth way more to me than, the yeah. four hours I'd have to spend chasing my little two and four year olds around the store. I get and it. So she's she's just she just doesn't have the the bandwidth and the it's not even a time thing, it's the it's the contest between yeah. mother and child in the store. I get it. Yep. Makes makes perfect sense. I will add that my Harris Teeter has a bar and well, there you go. Can, <laughs> nothing and, like alcohol and shopping. 
alcohol and shopping and they have TVs there. It's like a sports bar and they have tables and they have a special of the, of the day of each week has a special, special dinner for, I don't know, 995, 895, 12. Sometimes it's lobster roll. Sometimes it's, it's uh, grilled chicken. Sometimes it, I don't know what. I never do it. But one day I walked into the store and there was a line out the door. People were lining up for the dinner special. Seriously yeah. lining up. I, I have never, never seen this before. Uh, Rick, come back in and join us for a second here. Rick, what, what's your experience with, with shopping? Do you, are you a shopper, a personal in-store grocery shopper yourself? I am, Bonnie. I, I, I am old school. I like actually walking into stores and, and, and experiencing it. And, you know, you, you were saying earlier, uh, I think you said to Randy, is there any, any retailer out there that doesn't yeah. understand the importance of fresh and the smelling and everything? I think you could say nowadays, I don't think there's a retailer out there that doesn't know that creating an experience in the shopping trip is important. Now, whether they can execute that is a whole nother story, but mm-hmm. they know that that's, that's the lifeblood of a, of a brick and mortar store. And when you think about it, Bonnie, uh, you know, you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of brick and mortar stores across the United States and they're being squeezed every day by competition yeah. and, and not online competition. Plus now everybody's selling fresh food. You can go to a gas station, get apples and bananas and things like yes. that. So yes. how are you going to differentiate yourself? You got to create that experience. I love the fact that you talked about the store you went to has a bar there. Yeah. A lot of people put produce butchers in the store and they're cutting fruit and vegetables for you. Uh, a lot of times you'll see the meat department, the, the, the meat guy will be on the outside of the counter instead of behind, you know, cutting meat. He'll be outside telling you how to grill the meat and how to cook oh, it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I love a seafood department where you have that person behind the seafood department. I, I'm like you. I buy salmon a lot. But it's always interesting for them to tell me about a new variety they have or a fish oh. that I have not tried before. And then they'll tell me how to cook it. I love that. Very interesting. I have to share with both of you a, a little personal story here. Um, a couple of weeks, I have red hair, and it's a very interesting color of red. That's all I'll say. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm shopping bananas. After I buy my flowers, I go right to the, the produce department. I eat a lot of bananas for, for the uh, uh, whatever's in them, you know, potassium. And um, I'm picking the bananas, and a woman rushes up to me breathlessly, just breathlessly, ma'am, ma'am. And I thought, well, I saw she had a name tag on, but she wasn't dressed like the people normally who are working in the store. And I thought, well, I don't know, she must be a shopper. Ma'am, ma'am. And I thought, what did I do wrong? Or is she going to tell me, we have fresh bananas in the back? I don't know what she wanted, but she frightened me. Ma'am, ma'am. And I said, what? Looked at her, and she said, I have to tell you, I followed you in from the parking lot. I love your hair color. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. But there's a second part to the story, reason I'm telling you. Two weeks later, I'm in the store, and now I go on Thursdays because let's just say I'm a baby boomer. I'm not telling you which part of that demographic cohort I am, but I'm a boomer. And they have a discount, 5% off of your order. So Thursday afternoons, uh, Thursday evening, I go to the store, and I, I like my 5%. It's not a lot, but it's something. Okay, it's a courtesy. So I get online with a checker I didn't know, and he doesn't give me the 5%. Well, of course, it must be the red hair. He didn't realize it. But most of them ask, are you, are you a senior or do you have, do you get the discount? Or the ones who know me give it to me automatically. So I looked at him after, after I had gotten the total and I said, did you give me? And he said, no, I already rang you up. I'm sorry. I can't do it now. So I thought, well, 
that's not really cool, right? That's not cool. So I paid to put my credit card in the chip machine, and I paid, and I walked over 10 feet away to the customer service department, waited online, and then I looked at the young lady at the counter, and I said, excuse me, but my checker didn't give me my 5%. She looks up at me and says, you're the lady I chased with the red hair two weeks ago. (laughs) I love your hair. And then she said, what can I do for you? And I said, I, I didn't get the 5%. She said, no problem. Give me a receipt. And I did. And she put it in. I thanked her. We both had a good giggle over this. I went to the car, put my groceries in. I looked at the receipt in the car. Do you know what she did? She gave me 10% off as good a for courtesy. Her. As the manager uh, on duty at that point, she gave me 10%. So, and I had spent just about $100. So you can imagine it was a, it was a nice discount. And I thought, what just happened here? If that isn't personal service, Rick, tell me what is. Seriously. That is exactly what it's about. And I'm sure when some of the management of Harris Teeter hears you talk about the checker that said they wouldn't do it, they're cringing (laughs) because they understand how important it is that all of their associates treat their, treat the customers really well because that's the big difference. And look how oil you are. You've talked about them several times about how you shop there and all the things you're purchasing. So, so that's really important to a retailer is to create that experience. And you see, it nowadays you know it's it's interesting some of these retailers are they have like restaurants inside and and it's a gathering place i i I live in the baltimore washington area and wegmans Uh has opened up stores here and they have sit-down restaurants and and people meet there it's like that's the place to go in the evening to go (laughs) to socialize you know that's right Uh, in in the midwest you have high v same thing you know they have these restaurants that and, and and eateries, and, and it's exciting. It's a fun yeah. place to go. And it's not just people, you know, baby boomers. There. There's, there's, you know, people like Randy's daughters there, and, you know, families are there, and singles. And I just think it's really interesting to see how these retailers have figured out how to adapt to that changing consumer, and they're creating experiences in their store that consumers can relate to. Absolutely. And there is a Starbucks counter in our store and people do go there. When I first moved here and didn't know a lot of people, I went there on Saturday nights because I didn't have a date and I just wandered the aisles. I I got (laughs) dressed up and I just went to the grocery store when I did a stand-up comedy routine for a, they hired a stand-up in my community and they asked me if I would open for him. And I did. One of my, one of my closing jokes was, how do you, how do you know a single man? You look in the grocery cart when you find him in the bar drinking a beer and depending (laughs) on what the items are in the cart, you decide whether it's worth talking to him or not, but we'll leave that one alone. I'm sorry. Now, you have to rescue me. Rick Stein, let's go around the table to you and let's get to know you a little bit better. We know you have a a great sense of humor and a great lore of knowledge to share with us, but let's ask you three questions, Rick Stein. Number one, where are you calling from today? Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that helps to make you energized and helps keep you so smart? I believe beverages do that. And number three, tell us what you've been up to at FMI since I spoke to you last. Go ahead. Okay, Bonnie. So I'm calling you from the cherry blossom capital of the of the USA. I'm I'm right here in Washington D.C. today, and and it's a beautiful spring day. We had our cherry blossom uh, festival over the last uh, three weeks, and we had a great 
um, uh, turnout of the cherry blossoms this year. Um, last year they had snow on them, and this year they didn't. So it's a beautiful time to visit the nation's capital right now. Lots of tourists here, uh, beautiful weather, and uh, it's just a wonderful time here. And I, I'm going to tell you my drink now, and I, yes. I'm not sure I would have called this my all-time favorite, but I was recently uh, down south in, at Myrtle Beach, and, and I uh, had to speak at an event, and we got Bloody Marys at the, at the beginning of the event. And this Bloody Mary was like a festival in, inside of a garden. It had a, it had this big old piece of bacon in it. It had celery in it. It had fresh horseradish in it. It had fresh oregano in it. Um, and I'm telling you, it was, it was just, it burst with, uh, with flavor. And I, you know, for me, since I'm kind of a fresh guy, I, you know, I work in with our, our, our members around the perimeter of the store. It had the tomato juice in it. It had the celery in it. It had the bacon. Mm. It had all my items in there, you know? So, <laughs> so, uh, that really, I thought that was a wonderful and, and it tasted great. And I said, you know, once I took a sip, it was a fire in the hole. So that horseradish kicked in and I could really, it woke me up big time. And, and so here at FMI, we've been having a lot of fun. You know, I, I help our members, all the di- different retailers and wholesalers uh, with their fresh foods, uh, emerging issues and things like that. And what we're seeing is, you know, just a continued people are, everyone's selling fresh now, Bonnie. That, that, that's the struggle out there right now is everyone's trying to steal that. You know, everyone knows that's mm-hmm. important. Like you said, that's kind of why you pick your store. Uh, customers will tell you the number one reason b- behind price that they pick a store is their produce department. And so this idea of trying to compete for that, and I, I even saw a Home Depot out there one time that had a produce stand in front of it. Now, I don't know if Home Depot owned the produce stand or they were doing a partnership with somebody. I thought, oh, my goodness, now now, now even Home Depot selling uh, produce. So uh, <laughs> we've been busy here at FMI trying to help our members figure out how to navigate all these issues and make sure they stay healthy. Rick, I want to tell everybody that FMI, if they're not on the inside here, is the Food Marketing Institute, and they can go to F. MI.org to read more about it. Is that a good good place for them to go? It's a great place. Everything okay. you want to know about supermarkets. We call it the voice of food retail. I love that. I didn't know food retail had a voice. I thought we were giving it a voice today. And by the way, Rick was the vice president of retail marketing and merchandising for Safeway stores previously. So, Rick, always a pleasure to speak with you. It's very, very exciting. You know, th- this is a topic that isn't just for business people. Everybody has to do something to do with a grocery store at one point or another in their life, almost in the, the full life cycle, as we said, whether you're ordering online, whether you're having it delivered, whether you're picking it up at the, at the pickup station or whether you're actually going to the store. So this is really a, a vastly popular topic. Thank you very much. And now let's... Yeah, Bonnie, uh, yeah. Hey, Bonnie, i just tell you real quick. You know, yeah. I worked for, in the supermarket industry for 40 years, and my wife will tell you whenever we went to a party or a social uh, function, um, it was unbelievable. There could be doctors there. There could be scientists there. Everyone wanted to talk to the supermarket guy. My wife would say, you were the most popular guy at the party, Rick, because everyone <laughs> wants to share what they're doing. Everyone does it. Everyone shops for groceries, and everyone wants to talk about it. So I even heard it when you were talking about your experiences. It is common to everybody, and you know, she always was jealous that 
you know, I, I, I'd be so, the one that everyone wanted to talk to about what was going on at their store. So I, I think it's kind of funny about that. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Uh, thank you for adding that. I appreciate that. Randy Evans, and by the way, I have to tell everybody, if you're looking for Randy, he spells his last name E-V-I-N-S. A little bit different. Randy Evans, same three questions. Where are you today? What's your favorite beverage? Does it have bacon in it? That was a surprise, Rick Stein. <laughs> Never heard of that one before, but I love horseradish, and it's almost that time of year for my people to have horseradish. Lead, lead, the, the, lead the matzo crumbs there. And... Uh, and what do you do these days in your role at SAP? Randy Evans, talk to me. So I'm uh, sitting in my home office in Oak Hills, California. It's a little city. It's up above uh, San Bernardino in the in the mountains. I'm up about 5,000 feet. So we actually get a little bit of winter time in, in, in this area. So um, it's a beautiful day today. The sun is out. It's still a little bit chilly in the 40s. So not your traditional Southern California uh, weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite drink um, these days is uh, kind of a trendy one. It's uh, Moscow Mule. It's uh, mm. very simple to make. It's uh, vodka, ginger beer, and lime juice. And it is refreshing, and it's it's what we're drinking. It's, do you uh, have it's the copper cups for it, Rick? Randy? I do. I do. Uh, okay. I have. Uh, that's the first thing we did when we decided we liked them. We went out and got four copper cups, and and uh, it is an experience, and we we enjoy it very much. Good. Um, and then, what about been up to at SAP? It's been a really interesting uh, three months since the last time we talked, um, and and the the interesting component to it is we've. Um, We've added a capability that we didn't have, and it's a very exciting to think about. And we we like to call it the experience. Um, um, you know, there's a SAP is known for its you know its transactional processes, right? Where the we're running the, you know I think eighty percent of the world's commerce flows through an SAP system, mm-hmm. but we're not known for customer experiences and we have recently acquired a company that has opened our eyes and doors to um, to really some really interesting things it's called Qualtrics and mm-hmm. it's really um, it's, it's for me as I start to conceptualize what we can do with this it's working on how to how do you know that the customer that you're interacting with really likes what you're offering and that likes is kind of a funky word Mm-hmm. We can look at data, point of sale data, and we can see whether or not they bought our stuff. But we really never know that they have a great experience. We've on this 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 session we've been talking a ton about customer experience and and getting, you know, the ability to provide an avenue for that customer to provide feedback. Instant feedback, not feedback two months from now, but hey, you you know, we see that you you bought this meal deal, or you you interacted with our floor department, or you did, did, what? Did you like it? Did you did? Was it an experience that that you would write home about, or that you would grade uh, exceptional, or vice versa? Was it horrible? Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to take that information, digitize it, and then predict using that information what what's come, what what's next is. It's spectacular. I mean, I know when I was a category manager, trying to develop products, we 
we, we made stuff and then we tried to watch the point of sale data to find out if the customers actually liked it. But with this concept, we could, we could instantly know what the customer's emotions were about that product. That's, mm. that's information that is, um, spectacular when you think about it in the context of applying experiential data or X data, as we call it, mm-hmm. with transactional information or O data, um, really delivers the ability to, to cater to that shopper in a much more powerful way. So that's, that's what we've been working on. The last three months have been really spent trying to figure out how do we, how's this going to, how does this work and what does it mean? It's um, exciting. It's, it's got a ton it's, of potential. It's yeah, exciting. very cool. Randy and I've I've seen the XO, and I love that concept of the the experience and and the O attached to that. We all know that's part of hugs and kisses, right? So we'll leave that one yep. alone. <laughs> now you know what I will just tell you too briefly that I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. It is an absolutely gorgeous day. We're going to head up to about. 79 degrees, but we're in the middle of green dust season, D-U-S-T, dust. And if you don't know what that means, it's called the pollen apocalypse. It was reported on a major news network the other day. Everything (laughs) is covered with green dust. If you don't have your car garage, it will be covered. If you have your furniture on the porch and it's a screen porch like I have, it will be covered with green. Your plants are covered with green. If you stand out too long, your skin will be covered with green. Lasts a little while. It's not harmful, but it's very annoying and not very pretty. So we're in the middle of the pollen apocalypse here in North Carolina, and I've only been here. This is my second springtime here, and I have to get used to it. But the good news is it's a beautiful day, and we have a couple of white, very little fluffy clouds. And uh, today is uh, today is a Thursday, actually, and I, I will be shopping at, at my uh, favorite grocery store tonight, and I'll make sure that I keep everything undercover and get it in the car fast and in the garage and in the house so we don't take the pollen apocalypse in the house. And I am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show day. So all I'm having is the usual cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug here on my desk in my home radio studio. So you know what? We're going to skip the break because we're just having too much fun and there's so much to talk about. Rick Stein at FMI, you're up first on the formal part of the roundtable, but I know we've gone around the table about 12 times already. So Rick, I'm looking at your notes and let's get down to the business of fresh food. And if you're just tuning in, by the way, our special topic today is getting fresh. Uh Uh-huh. The last Battleground for Grocery, and this is part two of a show we started in December of 2018. My very special guests are Rick Stein at FMI and Randy Evans at SAP, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Let's talk to Rick about what you have in your notes here. You say supermarkets have the most sophisticated and safe supply chain logistics for fresh food. So why don't you bring us up to date on what's going on with this. Rick Stein? Yeah, Bonnie, I, I appreciate that. So, you know, we think of uh, uh, brick-and-mortar supermarkets as and they've been established for, for well over a century. And what they had to do to stay in business is they had to get really good at food safety and make sure that anything a consumer, you know, they're they're the front line. That's where consumers buy it. So you're not buying your oranges from the farmer. You're buying it from your local supermarket. And so if something's wrong with that orange, you're not going to blame the farmer. You're going to blame the supermarket. So they had to get really good on quality assurance, cold storage, which is making sure that the product stays at the right temperature from the time it leaves your warehouse to the time it gets on the shelf. And and if you think about all the issues on food safety, just think about last year, Bonnie. I'm sure you remember right before Thanksgiving, there was a huge romaine recall. Oh, and, and very that well. Affected, 
That yep. affected everything. It wasn't just the romaine. People were using romaine as, as garnish in the deli department. So everything in the deli department had to be pulled. And, and, and they were using it as garnish in their seafood departments and everything in the seafood department, all the party platters. Think about, you know, in the deli where they would garnish the bottom of the tray with romaine leaves and then put the meats and cheeses on top of it or sandwiches on top of it. So, so it was a huge impact. And, what supermarkets are really proud of is that they have their customers' uh, safety at the very forefront. When, when they know that there's a scare or there's measures that need to be taken, they're very fast at it. I remember it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and the Food and Drug Administration put out a, a notice that you know there was an advisory. And I would tell you that Probably without fail, every supermarket by 8 p.m. that night had pulled everything they had. And, and that's not necessarily happened at restaurants or farmers markets. The supermarkets are really good at that. So I think what they pride themselves on is that they have their customers' trust. That when you shop at your store, you trust that they have your uh, well-being uh, taken care of. And so sometimes you'll see product that's pulled and you'll say, you know, gosh, I wanted to get something today and you don't have any here. And they'll tell you, well, the reason we pulled it is there might have been a health scare on it. And so that now gives you confidence when there is product available, you know it's okay for you. So I think uh, it's something that supermarkets are, can really hang their hat on because they've been doing it for so long and have really buttoned down the process. Thank you very much. I, I know everybody wants to be assured of that. I remember very well, and I remember having a lot of romaine in the house at that time, Rick. <laughs> and I remember going to the going to the grocery store. I won't use their name anymore. I've given them enough airtime. And I found one of the produce managers. They're, they're very, very friendly in the produce department. And, and I said to him, what should I do? And he said, stop using it. He said, throw it out. Go home and throw it out. We took it out of the cases. I wouldn't buy any of their chopped salad mixes because the ones that had romaine in them, anybody who said romaine, any of the labels, I, I just wouldn't. He said, we pulled everything from the from the shelf and from the, the chiller area. He said, I suggest you go home and throw it out, please. That's what he said to me. And I appreciated that. I really, mm-hmm. really did. Randy Evans, chime in here. Romaine or anything else, talk to me about supply chain. Sure. What's your thought about how it's doing? Go ahead. So- the romaine lettuce topic is an awesome topic because um, when you drop into the facts of that particular instance, um, there were two farms in California, one in um, uh, Northern California, one in Central California, that were this, this, um, this strain of E. coli contamination was traced to. And that, that, that inventory uh, probably accounted for less than a percent of the total romaine lettuce in the United mm-hmm. States. But, and as Rick said, uh, and, and I'm not diminishing the capability at all because they yeah. did the right things given the information that they had. But that, that, that scorched earth recall took every single head of romaine lettuce, regardless of whether it was in a grocery store, in a restaurant, anywhere in the United States, off the shelf. Yeah. Hundreds, if not millions of dollars of inventory were tossed because there was no knowledge of where the where the specific outbreak came from, and if if the capabilities exist today, for that to have been a very a much more precise recall instead of a scorched earth recall, 
mm-hmm. we could have targeted only the products that came from those two farms and only eliminated that product from inventory, which would have saved um, the, the, the millions of dollars of inventory that was eliminated, um, the margin, you know, not that that matters. I mean, it, 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 ultimately it does matter at the end of the day. Um, so today's capabilities, technologies exist, not just not an SAP commercial here at all. This is just technologies exist yeah. that would have allowed us to be more precise instead of taking everything to the trash can. So the future of, a, yes. of the food chain, the, the capabilities that are existing, whether it's blockchain or just simple track and trace, would, would enable us to be um, much more precise and cost-effective. And not only cost-effective, the amount of product that hit the, that hit the trash can, that, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a whole process of how that gets eliminated from the food chain. All of those costs, all that stuff didn't necessarily need to happen in the way that it did. Yeah, so there's a brighter future from a from a food safety perspective because we can now get down to the nth degree and the details of where products come from and how they're handled and what happens to them as they travel through the supply chain is going to be much more precise in the future. Thank it's you, really Randy. exciting stuff. It's very exciting, and so so we should say the lettuce will be greener and fresher on the other side of the romaine the romaine <laughs> it will be the it romaine be. tragedy. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about, I'm looking at your notes, Randy, and you say today's digital shopper, while willing to experiment with some things, is still looking for transparency in food sourcing and healthfulness. Let's talk a little bit about the concept of blockchain. It, it To me, it's still a very much of a business concept. Uh, a lot of POCs, proof of concepts of it are, are so-so. It's not widely used, but we know it's there. We talk sometimes about blockchain. I, I read an article and summarized it and recorded it for the Digitalist Mag recently on the origin of tuna fish before it gets to a major supplier like Bumblebee. And they're actually using blockchain from the time it's caught in whatever country it's caught in. The the fish itself is tagged and that goes into some kind of a ledger and it gets into the blockchain. And then we know who caught it and who handled it and who shipped it and where it went and when it arrived at Bumblebee and how many times it was handled and when it went into what packaging. Do you think, Randy, and then I'll, I'll ask Rick after you, are consumers aware of the concept of blockchain as being a, a proof of the journey of the product from origin into the supply chain onto the shelf? Is this something that you think consumers of fresh grocery need to be more aware of, or does it should it stay in the background, Randy? Well, I think um, the, the, the marketing strategies for blockchain are, are incredible because – the consumers have told us many, many, many times they want to know where it comes from. They want to know how it was handled. They want to know, they want to know essentially everything about the product that they're going to consume. Um, and blockchain, the processes of blockchain, it's called a distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. And basically it's a methodology that allows for all of the data elements about a product. In this case, Bumblebee tuna, where, where, where it was caught, what the condition of the water, what the condition of the ship, condition of the, of the processing plants, including DNA check, um, including, you know, um, cold chain monitoring. I mean, all of the, the components of what happens in that, with that seafood as it moves through the, the blockchain, if you will. 
mm-hmm. um, are captured and sent along with it as it flies, as it goes. That's the information the consumer is looking for. So absolutely, the consumer should be, well, I'll say, even requiring that that some type of track and trace or blockchain is mm-hmm. is utilized in the, 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 their products because it's going to give them an incredibly accurate view of what their products, um, what their product went through before it got to them. Absolutely. Now, do they do they mm-hmm. when it, blockchain has become a little bit of a buzzword? Yes. Um, do they understand it specifically? No. No. And do they need to? No. But they need to understand that when we say blockchain, what we're really meaning is incredibly accurate movement of information all the way to them. That's the that's the business case for blockchain. Interesting. Rick, before I bring you in, I just want to mention that I just Googled blockchain in grocery. That's all I put in. I found an article from September 2018 on businessinsider.com. Walmart mandates blockchain for grocery food tracking. I found one on spscommerce.com. The future of blockchain in the grocery industry. I found one on coindesk.com. IBM's food blockchain is going live with a supermarket giant. Uh, I found one here on uh, Wall Street Journal blogs. Walmart-led blockchain effort seeks farm-to-grocery aisle view of of uh, products. Uh, here's one on Medium.com: How blockchain tech will transform grocery retail. And one more: CanadianGrocer.com. In July of 2018, the article is, Will Blockchain Change Grocery? Question mark. Very interesting. So anybody who wants to know about that, there's plenty of media around it. Rick Stein, your thoughts about blockchain and who really in among, uh, who really among the shoppers is aware of it or, or needs to know? Uh, we, we talked about that with Randy or, or, um, how many people are really asking at, at the produce store? Well, let me see the, let me see the origin or the, the provenance of my celery. What are your thoughts, Rick? Yeah. You know, Bonnie, I think uh, uh, Randy kind of got to it at the end. I'm not sure the consumer is going to have it on the radar. I don't know that the consumer even needs to have it on the radar. I think what's important with this new technology, and it is a buzzword right now, but it, it, it's moving along pretty fast and it's important, is the idea that retailers will be able to ra- react with precision in terms of ensuring that the food is safe They'll have transparency from the field where it was picked to the truck it was loaded on to the packing house it was put in the box to the truck that took it to the warehouse to the warehouse to the store and so on. And so when you can have that kind of precision information at your fingertips, when there's a recall or when there's a, uh, an E. coli breakout or any kind of uh, food safety issue, instead of a you know, he called it scorched earth instead of a, Mm -hmm. hey, let's just with a huge swath, take you know, everybody take precaution. You can be more like a surgeon and surgically go in and say, here is where the tainted product is. Let's remove it. Let's get it out of the system. And then what consumers will get used to is the fact that instead of seeing, you know, you, you said that you went to your store and they had everything pulled and he said everything at your house had to be thrown out. How would you have liked it if he came in and he said, you know what, the stuff we had at our store was perfectly fine, and Mm. Bonnie, you can continue to eat it. Now, you may not know what blockchain is, but you're going to be a happy customer, aren't you? You're going to say, wow, how did he know that? And and so I think what it's going to do is reassure consumers that when they're buying product, 
that they know it's safe. There are customers right now, Bonnie, that will not eat romaine. They've been scared of it ever since oh, the yeah. recall. And so isn't that a shame? It's such a great item. I love my Caesar salad. <laughs> you know, when I had, I went to get a Caesar salad in, 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 in December and they said, sorry, we're, we're using kale yeah. in our Caesar salad. And that, <laughs> not, that's the not, not the same. Not the <laughs> no. same. You know, not I got nothing against kale, but it's not the same. So I think it's, you know, the term blockchain is going to be in the background. That's what the business is going to use. That's how they're going to talk about it. But for the consumer, they're going to see the impact of that. And they're going to be able to trust the foods they buy. And, and you know, there's a big issue right now, Bonnie, with food waste. And, and so when you have an advisory like this, think of all the waste that happened unnecessarily. We'll actually have a positive impact on food waste. So there's all kinds of benefits to this idea of being able to technologically trace product from its origin all the way to the shelf and being able to identify, you know, the safe food. Thank you very much, Rick and Randy. We're almost at the time where we're going to go into our crystal ball predictions round. But before we get your predictions, uh, let me start with you, Randy. Question is, do you think in the, I'm just going to say the, not average, but the upscale grocery industry around the U.S., around the world, if, if I walked up to somebody in the produce department and said, I'd love to see your supply chain information on carrots, Okay, let's not pick on romaine anymore. I've just started buying it, by the way, about two weeks ago. Again, after many months of staying the hell away from it, um, I want to see. I want to see the origin of the carrots because they look very orange today, and I want to know how much dye was used in the carrots. Can you? Would that person be prepared to tell me? Or would they hand me off to the store manager? Would they have to make a call to corporate? Randy, what's your thought in terms of really wanting to know about the journey and the the handling of that particular? fresh produce. What's your thought? Um, store level, there may be uh, a specialty grocer or someone that's made it a point to dis- depart, depart that information to their store ops folks, but for the general grocer, I would say they would not be able to tell you the specifics of their supply chain. They would know that the product went to their distribution center, but they probably wouldn't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Or they may know the vendor that it came from, but they wouldn't know the field. They wouldn't know okay. the details ab- about it. They would know. They would know generally, but not specifically. So, if your question was a general question, where'd you get these? Where these carrots come from? They could yeah. answer. But if you wanted to know why do they have a more orange color today than yesterday, and what was the content of the growing, and what was yeah. the condition of the, the, the cold chain, they would not be able to tell you. Interesting, Rick. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think he's pretty much right. When you think of the workforce right now, you know, everyone's struggling to get good workforce out there. And so being able to get an employee that knows how to handle the, the let's just use produce as the department since you brought up carrots, mm-hmm. having that employee understand how to take care of it, um, that's a lot of training. To understand that they can't leave the load sitting out in the back room. They got to push it into the cooler so it, it maintains the cold chain or, or knowing mm-hmm. how to separate fruits and vegetables and when they're stocking and how to cull it. 
Then to add on the whole element of the information about where the product came from and how it was grown and what's in it and all the benefits of it, that's a whole nother level. Now, there are folks out there that do it. You know, if you go to a store that has a produce butcher, they can usually tell you a lot of information and, and customers want that. So retailers are trying to find that, but it's just tough with the uh, workforce right now. Hopefully, there'll be apps. I think in the future, we're going to probably mm-hmm. see things where you can scan it and, and, and it'll tell you where it came from and give you information about it. But uh, right now, I think trying to expect that from an associate is kind of tough. Thank you very much for the reality check. Just wanted to know. And now oh. we're officially in the crystal ball. Do you want to start with the uh, tell me what you see 60 seconds as far as the future of getting fresh in grocery? Yeah, I, I think. I think what you're going to see, uh, Bonnie, is um, what, what, you, know, you said, like, well, what are we going to see in 2020? So we're about a year away. If we're talking mm-hmm. about a year away, I think you're going to see new science. You're going to see new information about foods. You're going to find out that, you know what, meat is good for you. Seafood's even better. And even some of the, uh, you know, uh, Consumers will be encouraged to even eat bakery items. You know, everyone said, let's not eat carbs. So I think as we get more and more science and information out there, you're seeing that evolve almost daily. And then this idea of consumers of of where they're purchasing product, you're going to see that evolve too. I think that if I have the crystal ball, I think, you know, I mentioned it earlier, I think the restaurant at the supermarket is going to be one of the destinations. It's not going to be the... um, the exception. I think, you know, you're going to look at uh, consumers are going to say, I can get great food there and I can sit down and I can I can have a great eating experience with great foods for me. So I kind of see uh, the science and, 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 the, uh, and the experience at supermarkets really evolving. And then lastly, I think you're going to see new products. You know, I heard that they're developing a black tomato that's supposed to taste delicious. It's in Europe right now. And so there's all kinds mm. of innovation going on in terms of actual product development, and I think you're going to see that within a year, too, that you're going to see varieties and new types of items that you haven't seen before. So that's my prediction. Thank you. Was that Randy? That yeah, was Randy's Rick. still here. Okay. That was Rick. Okay, Rick, Randy, you're up. 60 seconds. Prediction. So the first thing I wanted to say is I love the fact that Rick refers to uh, an associate in produce as a produce butcher, as an ex-meat guy. I think that's pretty awesome. I, I, I think that's fantastic. I've never heard the term produce butcher before. But that also gets to the, the concept. I think the digital, the digitization of grocery is underway. And as grocers become more and more and more digitized, and I don't mean e-commerce, I mean digitized by their entire business process, and the information that they deal with is becoming digital, um, the capabilities that happen at store are going to expand. The concept of a grocer no longer being the grocery store, but being the mm-hmm. place where food is purchased and consumed um, is going to just get no- nothing but bigger and bigger and bigger. The concept of a meal shopper instead of a ingredient shopper is going to is going to grow. I think the grocery industry will start to see we're going to be better off selling a spaghetti dinner than selling prego and spaghetti and bread <laughs> and garlic will be um, a, a much more powerful concept. And, and as that digitization starts to escalate, and I mean the digitization of the shopper, the ability to sell to them in that way is going to get way better than what it is today. And it'll be a way for suppliers to be successful, for 
for the traditional grocer to be successful and for the customer to get a better experience. Um, I also think that the, the, the concept of a grocery store as it exists today with, you know, aisles and aisles and aisles of displays mm-hmm. of non-perishable goods, I think it's going to, that's going to start to morph and the grocery store of the future will be a lot of perishables with the ability to um, select the non-perishable products in a much more efficient way behind the wall. I think that's going to start to happen uh, as customers start to figure it um, that they've got to be efficient. They've got to be able to sell to that digital shopper, but in a profitable way. And that's the best way to pull that off. Thank you. I love it. The grocery store of the future. We have to get together again, the three of us, and talk about this later in the year. I want an update. So I want to thank both of you so much. Such a pleasure. I always enjoy speaking to the two of you, Rick Stein at FMI and Randy Evans at SAP. And a shout out to Stephen Sparrow, who put together this topic and this panel, invited Randy and Rick back. And a shout out to Matt at World Talk Radio for being our engineer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Stop right now in the grocery store, whatever aisle you're in, and just think about this. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Rick Stein at FMI, just like Randy Evans at SAP, and just like me, a.k.a. Radio Red. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.